Hey everybody, welcome back to the Macro Compass. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different than the last one you have seen because I have the great pleasure to welcome back a great macro strategist and a friend, Andrea Steno Larsen. Thanks for welcoming me. Hey, the guy's back. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> we at the Macro Compass have the exclusive of having his first uh, global macro and allocation piece his comeback piece, and we sat down with him to have a Q&A fireside, fireside session on what does Andreas think of, you know, global macro and asset allocation. So the first question is, hot topic, what do you make of the latest uh, C19 pandemic developments? Well, uh, I am getting more and more convinced that we are very close to approaching the end of the pandemic. Um, and the reason is that the data that we receive, especially from Europe, uh, is uh, extremely compelling, I would say, um, given that uh, the relationship between the case count and uh, hospital admissions and, um, and fatalities uh, have broken down completely compared to the uh, Delta wave, for example. Uh, so this is textbook uh, developments within virology. Uh, it seems like Omicron is less lethal than Delta, uh, but it's also more transmittable. Uh, but that's exactly what you should expect uh, uh, from the development of the uh, pandemic. Uh, and to me, um, this is a sign that we are basically approaching a scenario where we don't need to debate COVID-19 too much any longer. Well, we all hope you're right for sure, Andreas. And uh, mm. you can't see him, but he's wearing a, a Real Madrid shirt. Yes. Yesterday. He was watching El Clasico. But um, coming back to uh, to the pandemic developments, we all hope you're right. And if you are, then uh, the average narrative out there seems to be that, uh, you know, why shouldn't we expect a crack up boom in economic growth now that the pandemic is over, assuming you're right? Is, do you buy into this narrative? Not necessarily. Um, I mean, it is kind of the obvious thing to state that uh, if the pandemic dissipates, then it would lead to a better uh, growth environment. But uh, to me, it's not a given, uh, in particular uh, due to the developments that we see uh, in the credit cycle already now. And I think the developments that we see in the credit creation cycle, uh, they are actually linked to the COVID policies. Uh, first of all, um, if we look back to the first lockdown in uh, 2020, uh, it was very clear that uh, we had a massive uh, credit expansion in a very short time uh, during the second quarter of 2020. Uh, governments ran bizarre um, unfunded deficits uh, across the board, uh, across the globe. And then all corporates started utilizing um, standing facilities at banks uh, that were not utilized ahead of the crisis. Uh, and it all happened in a matter of three to four months, uh, which meant that we uh, we saw a massive increase in uh, in the credit creation, uh, both from the public sector, but also from the private sector uh, in, a, in a matter of months. Uh, the interesting thing is that we see the exact opposite now. Um, if the pandemic dissipates over the next few quarters, then you should expect uh, public sector deficits uh, to become uh, less material. Uh, you should also expect uh, uh, the private sector to deleverage um, and start paying back some of these uh, revolving facilities that they utilized during uh, 2020. Uh, so ultimately, uh, we may be staring directly into a credit contraction, uh, also given what the Federal Reserve intends to do with its balance sheet. Uh, and to me, a credit contraction means less growth, less inflation in three, four quarters from now. 
Is it not fun, Andreas, that everybody wants to talk about printing money and nobody wants to talk about destroying money? I mean, literally, <laughs> the, the, the private sector uh, basically deleveraging and governments running less fiscal deficits than before, it's literally destroying credit. And everybody wants to talk about when credit is created, but there is also a cliff coming, right? That's what you mean. Yes, uh, there is a, a big cliff coming in terms of, uh, of the public sector deficit. Uh, so if you look at the rate of change, basically, in um, in the uh, deficit from, from uh, most administrations across the globe, then uh, it, it is basically moving towards zero from a very negative territory, uh, which means that uh, the impulse from uh, the fiscal policy will be much less benign than what we saw in 2020 and also in 2021. Um, that is... Uh, something that would usually lead to less growth. Uh, it's, it's almost given that it would lead to less growth. Uh, and then uh, from the commercial banking system, um, it is crystal clear uh, that uh, we see uh, less growth in credit now uh, and that we are approaching a scenario with credit uh, contracting, which basically means that we destroy money. Um, and that will happen into 2022 or at least into the second half of the year, if I'm right in my projections. So central banks are also tightening in this environment, which um, the narrative says it's going to lead to higher yields. And Andrea yeah. <laughs> says, not really. So help us out here. I mean, uh, we have debated this over and over and over when it comes to um, tapering of asset purchases. Um, we, we can just look back at the first three QE programs uh, that the Fed ran. Uh, Every time they um, decided to end the QE program, uh, the consensus started moving towards uh, a narrative that long bond deals would have to increase as a consequence of asset purchase, uh, purchases being tapered. Uh, it's the exact same thing that we see right now. The consensus is moving towards telling uh, us that. Uh, the Federal Reserve is telling us that. Uh, they expect uh, to be able to steepen the yield curve when they uh, stop purchasing um, treasuries. Uh, the, the issue is that empirically, you um, you basically observe the exact opposite. Um, every time we've had a tapering process, we've seen lower bond yields. Uh, that was also the case when the European Central Bank tapered in um, in 18 and 19. Um, so we frankly cannot find one tapering process in history that has led to higher long bond yields. Um, so why should it happen this time around? Uh, at least it will only happen if the Federal Reserve manages to pull up the very front end quite aggressively. Uh, and uh, with four rate hikes already priced in, I'm not sure that I want to price in more. Let's put it like that. And the contrary indicators are also coming one after another because we've got Jamie Dimon that says that uh, yields should be at 4%. And we've got a couple <laughs> of money managers telling us the same. Then we've got um, strategists. Everybody's bearish. Just find me one outlook that says that the Fed is not going to hike a gazillion times and therefore that long bond yields should be higher. We both yeah. have our doubts, but then Andreas, you depicted an environment where credit impulse is slowing down and, and central banks are going to be tightening into this environment. You clearly do not buy into um, a nominal growth crack up boom coming this year, and you also don't buy in uh, a duration sell-off. So where would you suggest people to actually lean long or short in this environment? 
I think the safest bet is to bet on a flatter yield curve, also flatter than what is priced in in forward terms. Um, so a flattening of the 530 spread uh, could be a good bet into this, uh, should the Fed uh, continue with its plans on uh, quantitative tightening uh, alongside rate hikes into a slowing economy. Uh, that's usually a flattening cocktail. Uh, otherwise, I think um, the dollar will gain even more than what we've already seen, uh, not least if the Federal Reserve actually starts bringing the balance sheet down. Uh, so the amount of dollar reserves um, available for the commercial banking system, if they if they uh, bring that uh, amount down, then it usually leads to a stronger dollar since there are basically fewer dollars around in the commercial banking system. Um, so those are two of the safer bets, I would say, into such a scenario, uh, being long dollar and being um, positioned towards the very flat yield curve. And then I am tempted to say that you should go ahead and buy uh, duration, uh, the longer the better, into this environment. But it's probably a bit too early. Uh, I would argue that uh, uh, you need to be a little bit patient with that view still. Well, I would say the safest bets of 2021 are that I will make sourdough bread and pizza every week and you'll drink four beers <laughs> on a Saturday. We are long those for sure. Uh, yeah. Hey, um, thanks everybody for, for listening. And Andreas, it's been, of course, a pleasure to have you here, but, but bear with us because this is not the first time and this will not be the last time that you hear Andreas and us rumble together because what's going to happen, mate? We are launching a podcast. Okay, it's official. We promised you a while ago, and then we both had a little bit of hiccups. Now the hiccups are gone, so the podcast will start, and it will be launched in the near future, so stay tuned. And uh, thanks, Andreas, for uh, being here again. Thank you.